Lord God, we come to you this day grateful for all the themes of this series in which we've looked at the great doctrines of truth which you reveal to us in your word. And we ask that through your word, penned by inspiration of the Holy Spirit through St. Paul, as we look at the wonderful understanding of our future resurrection and the eternal life that we have, that you would warm our hearts to you and who you are and to the reality of that future that awaits. Take our minds, think through them. Take my lips, speak through them. Take our wills and bend them to yours. Don't just bend them, break them. Just do it, Lord. And take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you and for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm sure that if I took a survey of your week and I asked how many of you were busy this week, 99% of you would raise your hands. Because that's the world in which we live. I mean, after all, Kim and I had our, our clergy spouse retreat with the diocese this week. We went away for two and a half days. It was a wonderful time with the, with the clergy of the diocese down in Akron as John and Susan Yates led our reflection. It was phenomenal that one of my guys came. <laughs> Finally, you know. An Anglican without the trappings. It was great. But the reality is, as we returned, we just hit the ground running. Before I left, I was running like a busy bee all over the place, because that's our lives, right? That's, that's who we are. But I want to propose to you, as we look at this, that I believe in the resurrection of the body and life everlasting, what drives us as a people is what our hope is. Kids' activities. Family activities, going to work, going out with friends, driving our kids, our grandkids to practice. As we're driving around frantically doing all these activities, that underneath all of that, what is pushing all that activity is our hope. Because what you hope for and what you hope in shapes everything. It drives how you see relationships. It drives how you use your money. It drives how you spend your time. It's the engine that makes our lives go. And I'm not talking about hope in general. I'm hoping about, I'm talking about ultimate hope. You know, I'm not saying that hope in general is a bad thing. You know, I do hope that on payday my paycheck will arrive in the bank, you know, you know, but the question is the things that we put our general hope can really be what our ultimate hope is and that's hope misplaced. Some of us long for the house we're going to live in or the job and accomplishment or for students to get the grades we need to. Now, none of these are bad things, right? As a student, you need to be excellent in your work. We need to take care of our houses. We ought to strive for excellence in our workplaces. But the question is, where is our hope? Is it in the position we achieve? Is it in our educational status? Maybe we want to emulate a hero of ours, be it political, religious, a nationalistic hero. Maybe, you know, to achieve great health, to get my washboard abs. 
you know? None of these things are in and of themselves bad unless they are our ultimate hope. It's what you're hoping for and what you hope in that drives everything. And misplaced hope is tragic. Because if you misplace your hope, your hope will betray you. My house needs about $50,000 worth of work. It ain't going to happen. You can become a slave to that. You can become a slave if your hope is in your money and your success. Eventually, everything will be about that and how much money do you actually need. And you become a slave to your ultimate hope. And this phrase, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, is the foundation of the Christ follower's hope, the Christ follower's priorities, and the Christ follower's courage. I invite you to open with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. If you're visiting with us, you'll notice it in the back of the bulletin. Because what we're going to see in this text is that the hope that we have is in the fact that my resurrection, my eternity is a physical eternity. And it's sure. And two, that there's victory in my eternity. We're wrapping up the Apostles' Creed in a quick review. We've spoken about every single phrase where I believe in God the Father Almighty. And we discussed that God is the loving creator, God who created all the universe. And just the majesty screams of the reality of God. We spoke about Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, where we recognize that Jesus is the visible expression of the invisible God. And that if you want to look at God, you need to look no further than to look at the person and work of Jesus Christ. Not what the culture says he is, but who the inspired errant scripture says that he is. We discussed the Holy Spirit and reality of the Holy Spirit for each and every one of us. That The Holy Spirit points us back to Jesus Christ and empowers us to do things that we don't think we can do. But that's what the Holy Spirit does through his, through his vessels. We spoke about the reality of God's church and that there's such a misunderstanding in our culture that we can't be Christians without one another in the church. And you're not going to get it through a podcast. You're not going to get it through a webcast. You can't rub shoulders with a podcast. I don't care if it's Tim Keller, Colin Smith, Chuck Swindoll, whoever your favorite is out there. We need one another. And any Christian profession of faith without the church lacks credibility. And it's a temperature gauge as we live out the one another's of Scripture with one another. And last week we spoke about the reality of that we are restored to God by the forgiveness of our sins and therefore we can turn to others in our families, in our church family, and outside with a posture of forgiveness and look to one another. And so today we conclude with this phrase. First recognizing that my, my future involves a resurrection that is certain and physical. Verse 50 through 53 of 1 Corinthians 15. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writing these words, I tell you this, brothers, 
Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Paul is speaking about the biblical doctrine. It's all throughout the scriptures that we will get a new body, not a resuscitated body. It's not like the God's going to do CPR on our dead bodies and raise the old jalopy. All right? What he's going to do is give us a physical body when Jesus returns as we have a new heaven and a new earth. I know that some of you are hearing this for the very first time. This is what we have to look forward to, that I'll be able to reach out, I'll be able to touch, I'll be able to hug my loved ones, hug my friends, shake hands forever in the new earth. For in raising those who have placed their trust in Christ alone is the completion of the gift of our redemption in Jesus Christ. It's the receiving the gift of not our old body, patched up, but of a new body of new men and women. J.I. Packer says it this way, Through regeneration and sanctification, God has already renewed them inwardly. Now they receive the bodies to match. It's, it's as if in Christ we have it good. And we, if we die before Jesus returns, it's better. But it's going to be the best when he returns and we're raised to have our new body. That the new body looks like the old one, yet the old one was like a 1969 Ford Comet. My new body will be a Porsche 911 without a maintenance contract. It's going to be better than what we have now. And that's something to look forward to. Now, my young people that are here today, you're saying, well, you know what? I got it good. I'm kind of happy with what I have right now. You know? You talk to anybody a little older, they're going to say, just you wait, Henry Higgins. <laughs> all right? Just you wait. Because there comes a time where it's all downhill. But even our young people know pain. Even our young people know some suffering. Even our young people know hurt. And when Jesus returns, the book of Revelation says, that day there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more fear. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new has come. And it's going to be better. Especially, this is for those who, who have internal hurts and pains that you can't see. For those who have health issues, crippling issues, handicaps, chemical imbalances, a new body will be yours. A new mind will be yours on that day when the trumpet sounds, says Jesus. It's all throughout the scripture. And for the Corinthians that Paul's writing to, that's a new belief. They would have thought that when we die... The body would have been laid to the ground and my disembodied spirit would go be with the Lord. And that's good. And that's true. That is good. 
But it gets better than that. And we're the only worldview who believes this. That doesn't make it better, but it makes it true because Jesus spoke about it. Jesus truly rose from the dead, truly ascended into heaven, and we could trust that he's going to come again at his timing. Don't go choosing dates. I heard somebody chose a date just a couple weeks ago. I read some article. There's always going to be somebody that chooses a date. Don't listen to them. Not even our Lord knows exactly the time that it's coming in. That's a mystery within the Godhead of the Trinity. But this would have been a new belief. We're not just some disembodied spirit. Because that shows an incorrect view of the beauty of what God has made in us. And the beauty of us being made in His image completely, body, soul, spirit. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.10 that our body is going to be like Jesus' resurrected body. And this happens when our Lord returns. So this begs the natural question, where's your ultimate hope? Because some of us are putting our hope in things that can't deliver for us. And so I would beg you to ask the Lord to show you Jesus' life, body, soul, and spirit. How he lived. That there was never a person on the face of the planet who lived a more full life than Jesus Christ. He didn't get married. But he lived fully under the Father. With all the abundant life and joy that God and the second person could live. And laid his life down for us. He lived the noblest, most magnificent life possible and embraced it and as we embrace it we become true disciples i encourage you to see that that's first that our resurrection in our future is a physical eternity and secondly that in such a future there's victory in this life everlasting look at verses 54 and 55 when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Paul at that place is quoting the Old Testament, friends. Death is swallowed up in victory, Isaiah 25, 8. Death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? Is Hosea 13, 14. This is Old Testament smack talk. You know, some of you weren't prone to smack talk, okay? Uh, It was very helpful in baseball if you're a catcher to just jaw at the batter to distract him. Those of you who ever played catcher know what I'm talking about. Just watch Sandlot the movie. (laughs) Hamilton Porter, the character, does a great job of it. It's smack talk. And Paul is saying that in Christ, we can look at death and say, Where's your victory? Where's your sting? You got nothing on me. Because I'm in Jesus Christ and I've played my trust in him and his death. And because of that, we have victory. That awaits us, ladies and gentlemen. You think, wow, you're getting excited, Gene. Yeah, I am. (laughs) This is relevant. It's relevant for our young people if it's relevant for our older people. Because I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. 
And it awaits me, a life everlasting with this physical eternity. And I want to get this straight as Halloween approaches, because I need to correct some of your, your misperceptions of death. If we, if we go to the Lord before our Lord re- returns, you don't get a chance to come back and haunt someone as a ghost. You're not going to be Casper the Friendly Ghost. All right? Just stop these weird beliefs that have crept into God's church over the years. Okay? Because when you think of ghosts and the theology of them, well, number one, messages from the departed are often trivial and self-absorbed. If, you know, I was in South Carolina you know, for, for three years in that diocese, and in the low country of South Carolina, there's all kinds of ghost tours. And people would say, let's go on the ghost tour. No, no, because messages are often stupid, and they're self-absorbed on the ghosts themselves. And those ghosts don't come from people who in this life walked close with God. I think we can say that. And three... Every single ghost or spirit or demon in the scripture trembled at Jesus' words. Okay? You're not going to haunt anybody. All right? In this life everlasting. And what this does mean, not just an endless existence, because the lost have an eternal awaiting them as well. But for the Christian to enter the joy to which Jesus entered... We share eternity with Jesus because being with Jesus is the essence of heaven. Do you want that? I know, especially for some of our younger people, they're going, yeah, kind of, sort of. You know, as you get older, that usually matures and it comes. But I want to encourage you, as you get to know him, you will want that. Being in his presence where there's no more pain, no more suffering, endless joy, and the physical New earth will be that place of endless joy. I don't know if you realized it, but when we sing Amazing Grace, the last stanza was not written by John Newton. It was written by an anonymous benefactor of his. That Newton goes, wow, that's really good, and put it in. And we sing it when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. In Jesus Christ, trusting Him, that's what awaits each and every one of us. Because we are immortal. And in Jesus Christ, we have that awaiting us. And it shapes how we live. So if this is true, and we are eternal creatures, number one, we should take seriously the eternality of our souls. We take our our walks with him seriously, and it shapes our lives, and we look at our discipleship more seriously, and we make, reprioritize as necessary according to this hope, not misplaced hope. You know, when you get a bad diagnosis from the doctor, it's fascinating how people reshape their priorities, right? Right? Suddenly, people get really serious about their walk with God. They get real serious about their sin. I pray that it doesn't take that type of event for us to look at our ultimate hope. When you realize your eternality, it will change you. 
and reorder your life according not to misplaced hope, but to this hope on what Jesus Christ has done. What has he done? He came among us to live a perfect life unto the Father. And because of that, he could die for us so that we can share in this future as we place our trust in him. And so we place our trust not on our own works, but on his work. Don't place my trust on how good of a parent I am, how good of a husband I am, what a good employee I am, what a good person I am. No, because you can never be good enough. We can be good enough as we are trusting in Jesus Christ alone. And that means, my Christian brothers and sisters, even those I can look at in the church that get on my nerves, I can look at their eternality as well. I see them through the lens of their immortality. And I can love them, even when I share nothing in common with them. And I extend grace, because oftentimes that person that rubs you the wrong way has scars that you have no idea about. No wonder they get on your nerves. But the reality is, we can look at them and love them as well as I look on the new earth that awaits, as we worship Jesus forever. And then all of a sudden, I start to look at those who don't know Jesus, who don't exist within the sheepfold of the church. And I can feel for my neighbor, my coworker, my golfing buddies, my book club friends, my little league parent friends, the Boy Scout friends, the Girl Scout friends, the, the parents of... Your, your kids' friends who go to school with your kids, and they perhaps want nothing to do with Jesus. But to see them as eternal creates in me a serious to, seriousness to be their friend, to pray for them, and as God gives me an opportunity to tell them about the reality of the grace and truth revealed in Jesus Christ for them. And it gives me courage to tell them about it. Because this truth fuels our mission. If eternity is real, of the Christian and the non-Christian, I'm really serious about telling them about Jesus Christ. I invite you to turn in your, in your uh, bulletins to page one. Our vision statement is our culture at Christ Church. This is who we are. All right? We, we presented it after a year of praying through it, adjusting it, talking about it on the vestry level. This is who we are. Why do we exist? We exist as a church to build a great community for all people through a movement of the gospel that brings personal conversion, discipleship and community, meeting needs in the community, and cultural renewal revival to the West Shore and through it to the world. That's who we are. Buy in. That's what we do. Okay? you disagree with it, well, tough. That's who we are. Okay? It took us 10 years to figure this out. And we're praying through it. That's who we are. And how do we do that? By making disciples and following Christ together. All right? That's our culture. Because as we walk in that vision, you get a lot of courage. And you don't walk on eggshells for people. You're confident in who you are in Christ. And I swallow my cowardice 
and walk in the courage of knowing that eternity is real. And I'm not going to balk at being misunderstood or being made fun of like a bunch of middle schoolers who are thinking to themselves, I don't want them to think I'm not cool. You're 45. Grow up. You're 55, 65, 75. Some of you are 95. Some of you are 15. My friends, in Christ, you're the only Bible they read. And we can share the good news to those who don't. And if you don't know how, for 10 years I've offered evangelism training. Take it! For crying out loud. You can't say any longer, I just don't know how to share the gospel. Well, carve out that week every May, all right? I'm going to teach you. We can do it. Share the good news as you get opportunity. Have them in your home. Start off with just having them over for dinner. Invite them on a Sunday and go out for brunch. You know, it's, and counsel them on their eternality. That's what this future gives us. Great courage, great hope. So two questions as we close our time here this morning. Number one, where are you placing your ultimate hope? What's driving you? Your motivation for living. What are you hoping in? And I admit, this might take some time to flesh out. This is not, these are heavy questions. I, I get it. This is not a drive-by, you know, boom, hit you and move on. This is, you got to reflect on this and think about this. But are those places that you're hoping in, do they lead you to fear? Do they lead you into anxiety? Do they lead you to control? Do they lead you that you're finding your hope in friends? The alarm goes off. Something's wrong. And so we're going to come forward to the confession during the prayers of the people. And there's always a large pregnant pause, right? And we invite you to the Lord's table. Confess in your heart, in your spirit, all your sin. Lay it at the foot of the cross. And you'll hear me pronounce the absolution as you truly repent, God truly forgives. Second question is, in what ways have you shown a lack of concern for the eternality of your own soul and others? Do you take your sin lightly? Do you take your discipleship lately? How was, how was your, your Bible reading this week? How was your prayer life this week? How is your ministry among us? Do you hate the things that God hates? Or do you say, ah, that's no big deal. What about the souls of others? Is there any urgency in your heart for them? Are you burdened to pray? Does cowardice mark your life outside the building throughout the week? Like I said, I'm not trying to do a drive-by guilt trip here. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to dig in our hearts and bring revival among us. You know, the reason we don't ask these types of questions is because we don't like the answers, right? Okay? It gets ugly because we've all been cowards at times, all right? Most of us don't think of eternity. We think of just the here and now. Yeah, as a matter of fact, most of us can't wait to get out of here and get to the football game this afternoon. Check my fantasy league, you know? 
But the reality is, we place our hope in misplaced, and the things we trust in are counterfeit glories. There's only us and our souls will last. So as we close this morning, for those of us who have placed our work, our trust in Jesus Christ, and I'm going to pray as we close today, for maybe you haven't, to trust in Jesus Christ with me as I pray. And in C.S. Lewis's last battle, as as the whole book's end, he describes the new Narnia. He says, the term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. And as Aslan the king spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful, I cannot write of them. For this, and for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story. The story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. That's what we have awaiting us, brothers and sisters, as we trust in Jesus Christ. Our eternal resurrection body awaits us. And it is a life everlasting. Don't you want that? Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we along with all of creation long for that day when you will make all things new. Especially as we are surrounded with the pain and suffering of the world, we believe you, through the resurrection of your Son, are already making things new. And will complete that work in us when the trumpet sounds for those who have placed their trust in you. Lord, there there may be among us those who have never truly done that. And I pray, Lord, that as those people are, are contemplating their relationship and their walk with you, they know they've never truly placed their trust in you. And I pray that right now they pray along as we pray, Lord, I come to you and I recognize that before you, I'm a rebel. And I want forgiveness for all my rebellion, my sin. I believe that you, Jesus Christ, died on the cross and rose again. You ascended into heaven and that one day you will come again. I receive you as my Savior and my Lord. And I give you my life to do with as you wish. And Lord, it's, it's through that we long for your return. And we wait with great anticipation the hope that that day when he will make all things new and death will be forever defeated. For we ask all this through Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, and our God. Amen.